0: Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal to simplify big ideas for a greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, welcome to episode number 19 of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I'm your host, and I hope that this conversation will help you to give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. Today I'm talking to John Sanders, who is the content director of the Rural Matters Institute at the Billy Graham Center. Uh, for those of you, who, uh, many of you who may not know what that is or what that means, um, like myself originally, uh, he is the guy who the Billy Graham Center has asked to create content to resource the church in rural America, which is a big task given by a very respected organization. Prior to um, his involvement there, John spent many years serving as a rural church pastor and as a volunteer firefighter in South Dakota. And while there, he experienced God do some pretty incredible things in their small town. I first met John through his podcast and then at a conference that I went to almost a year ago uh, for pastors in rural areas, and I accidentally sat down at (laughs) at his table, the speaker's table, and I, I didn't want to move because I thought this is a unique opportunity and a great chance to connect with him. And I had a great time and I've continued to have conversations with John uh, since that time. John has had a lot of practical ministry and life experience and a very unique experience that seems to be lacking in rural and small towns. And it's, and it's that God delights in doing big things in small towns. And so I asked John if you would hop onto our podcast to share us share with us a little bit about what God is doing in rural America. Well, I am really excited to have John Sanders on our podcast. John, welcome.
1: Skylar, it is my pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for having me on, and it's an honor.
0: Well, John, you have, um, you have a podcast yourself, and I originally uh, heard of you through listening to your podcast because you champion... Uh, rural ministry, and then um, uh, accidentally, um, you talked about this Rural Matters Institute, which was in Hutchinson, Kansas, and I drove all the way out from Litchfield there, which was like 12 hours, and I just found a table and I sat at it, and it happened to be <laughs> like the speaker's table, which I felt so um, uh, like I. I uh, I was intruding, but um, I wasn't going to, you know, walk away from the table because I got to sit next to you and, and have a have a have just a fantastic conversation with you and several other um, speakers uh, that day. But, um, John, um, I'm so glad you're here, um, but could you, like, just do a little bit of introduction about who you are, you know, your call into ministry, and what do you do these days?
1: Yeah, awesome, and again, thank you for having me, and I'm glad you didn't leave our table, by the way. It was a pleasure getting to meet you, so... Um, Hey, I grew up in ministry. I grew up in a pastor's home. I loved it. Like I, some pastor's kids don't have a good experience. I, I did. Um, but I knew I was not going to be a pastor. I, my plan for life was to play professional football for the Minnesota Vikings and they never called me. So, um, (laughs) still haven't called me, but, um, in high school, I really started to get passionate about the fire service. And I thought, you know, that looks cool. So long story short, I became a firefighter in the city of Peoria, Illinois, where I hey. grew up, and um, and and then at 21 years old, I got hired on. And then I, the way I tell the story is that God messed my plans up in the best way possible, like but he really did. Like he he continued to pursue me with this calling toward ministry, toward pastoral ministry. Like I knew deep down inside that God wanted me to preach and uh, I believe me Skyler when I tell you I ran from that calling as best I could like I was like God I'll serve you in any other way I'm terrified to get up and talk in front of people please don't ask me to do that I'll be terrible at it and uh, he continued to pursue with just this relentless calling and I just I and I know if people don't you know, have a relationship with Christ. They may not understand that. I know it sounds a little woo-woo. I I just describe it though as like, I just knew deep down that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And so finally I surrendered to that calling and said, okay, God, if you want me in ministry, I think you're making a huge mistake, but I will go. And um, so long story short, I'm skipping a lot of details, but my family and I moved to this little rural town in South Dakota called Flandreau. We're about 45 miles north of Sioux Falls. And back in 2004, we planted what has now become the Rescue Church, a non-denominational church. Um, and man, God has done incredible things through our story, and He grew our church. Like And, and it, what happened in the process of me being in a rural community, planting a church, is that my eyes really became open to just how desperate rural communities are in need of a healthy church because there's a lot of problems in the rural landscape. And and there's a lot of problems in the church in rural landscape. And my eyes really be begun to to be open to that. So a few years back, I started doing a podcast that you referenced earlier called the Small Town Big Church Podcast that is for rural pastors. And I just started to let my life stand as a you know, story and and sharing the lessons that I was learning and the things God was teaching me. And, and what I found is that that started to resonate with many rural pastors across the nation, and I started to build an audience there. And then some really cool things have happened from there, you know, as that audience has grown, I've had more and more opportunities to influence pastors in the rural landscape. I've had the opportunity to travel and speak to some of the sexiest small towns you can ever, you know, <laughs> not find on a map. Um, and uh, and then here more recently, I had uh, the Rural Matters Institute, which is part of the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton College. Last year, they reached out to me and they said, hey, what would it look like to bring you on our team as our director of content and conferencing? And what we'd like you to do is essentially keep doing your podcast and then also you know, create some events around the country for rural pastors and uh, speak into their lives and um, and that really was kind of for me the culmination. I knew, and this is a long story too, but I knew that my season of leadership at the Rescue Church, where I had served for 16 years, I sensed that that season of ministry was coming to a close. And when they gave me that invite about a year ago, um, I recognized this is the next step. And so I really leaned into that. And I'm so grateful my church family was gracious and um and understanding as i shared with them look i think god is opening a new door for me to not just lead one rural church but to impact many rural churches by serving their leaders and so now i'm in a season where i coach rural pastors i speak to rural pastors and um yeah like i say just having a little bit um more behind the scenes role working with the leaders in the rural church rather than simply being one of the leaders in the rural church so that's that's kind of the elevator pitch on a really tall building going <laughs> high there so
0: yeah no that's good and uh, I am uh, one of those audience members that listens to your podcast and has greatly benefited from that I mean it's been just incredible um, I had mm-hmm. no idea there was <laughs> there was a, a market you know a, a niche. Investing in rural pastors because it is it is different. You know, in the cities and in bigger metropolitan areas, you have resources, you have um, things that are there. um, That even if they're not Christian per se, you know, they can still invest in you and help you out. But there's not a whole lot out there for those who live in a more rural setting. Um, John, you um, so you didn't. um, You know, I guess. Quite mention this, but and those in our audience, um, they they may not know this about you, but uh, you went to a small town and you, you you planted a church. And when most people think of a rural community and church, they inherently think. Um, maybe they don't think this, but I think a lot of people think dysfunction and small. And so you yeah. got, which makes a big dysfunction, right? Um, the the ripples in the pool are, are feel a lot larger. Um, and I mean your experience in I guess in a rural community with ministry is is substantially different um same challenges but substantially different. um can you talk a little bit about um what God did through the rescue church, kind of the rescues um, story a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. And let me just make one minor distinction. When I when I named my podcast, the Small Town Big Church Podcast, I recognized it was a little bit of a bait and switch with the hook and the title. Like, it's not that I'm trying to encourage people to have a big church in a small town in terms of size. Because again, as pastors, a lot of times we feel pressure to see our churches grow just in numerically. And and we feel somehow less than when we are around leaders of much larger churches, like somehow we're not as significant. Really, the tagline of my podcast is that, that we believe that God wants to do big things in small places. So it's not just build a big numerically large church. It's more have a large impact in that small town. But so I wanted to just make that distinction that dysfunction and small don't, go hand in hand. And that's not what you were saying. I just wanted to be clear to to make the distinction. But the dysfunctional part is absolutely, um, sadly, it's a fair uh, assessment of so much of what the church in rural America looks like. There's some great ones out there, but there are many, many unhealthy dysfunctional ones that probably have done more to turn people away from what a real relationship with Jesus than to draw them into that. Um, So, and I don't want to tell a story like all the other churches suck and ours was great. Like that's not in my early years of leadership when I was younger, I I probably had way too much of that tone. And what I learned as I grew up and matured is that, you know, that's not a good place to be for any pastor. Um, Having said all of that, I will just say we did see God do some really cool things in our church um, in terms of how it grew. And as a leader, my goal was always to to see it be a healthy church, and uh, and it did, and, and it grew, and eventually, God gave me a vision to take our church into other communities, and and there's a name for this in the church world now. It's called multi-site, you know, where where one church plants multiple locations of itself in other in other places. Well, back in 2009 when God gave me a vision for that, I didn't even know the term multi-site. I didn't know it was a thing. I just really sensed that God was saying through the use of technology, we're going to multiply this church into other rural communities. And by then, five years into our story, my eyes were wide open to the need that exists in rural communities for a healthy, life-giving church. And so we started casting that vision, and the the remainder of my season as the leader there, we we saw God do some really neat things where we planted campuses in other rural communities in South Dakota, Minnesota, Illinois, and Jamaica. Um, and each one, it's almost like having a kid. Each location comes with its own unique story and uh, unique personality, but. Man, we saw God do some really cool things through that vision, and that vision continues. You know, now that uh, even though I'm not in the lead role, the church is, is still surging forward. And um, yeah, and I'm I'm thrilled to see the story continue even without me at the helm. They they've got great leadership, and uh, I'm proud of them. Proud of the steps that they continue to take.
0: That's awesome. Uh, did you say Jamaica?
1: <laughs> yeah, like like the country Jamaica. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's a long story. I'll just tell the the quick version. When, um, in 2012, we took a missions trip and it wasn't something I lined up, but someone in our church had connections and said, Hey, I'm going to lead a team of people down here to go build a playground at a school for deaf kids. And, um, do you want to come? Well, I had no desire to go on a missions trip. I just wanted to get out of South Dakota in February. So I was like, (laughs) yes, I want to go. So we went and, um, the guy who was hired to be our driver that year to drive our team around that week that we were there was a pastor of a small church and, um, a few, you know, we built a good relationship with him. And a few months after we returned back home, he reached out to me one day and he said, Hey, I'm on your website and I'm looking at your vision of planting campuses hmm. in other rural towns. And he's, he is in a little rural village about an hour outside of Montego Bay. And he just said, would could i plant one of those campuses here and you know i was i really like our church we kind of our leadership kind of held him at arm's length for a while cuz we're like man like i heard god say rural america i didn't hear anything about rural jamaica so let me go back and check and so we really spent a season praying about that but um yeah eventually he became one of the the locations of our church and it was really cool to get to to be able to travel over to Jamaica. I know everyone thinks like Sandals Resort. And I mean, it's beautiful, but trust me, that's not where we stayed. That's not where our church was. We were out in this very remote village, but it was cool to get to partner with a a body of believers in another country and learn from them and be able to help them along the way as well.
0: That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Um, Well, good for the Rescue Church, just kind of uh, taking a step and, and you guys taking a step in faith to do that. Um, well, John, you, um, you I'm, I'm sure you have heard it, and you even kind of alluded to it, that many people, um, when you look, that you, I guess they kind of overlook or look down upon rural communities. And if you live in a rural community, it kind of makes you feel like maybe you don't matter uh, as much as those who are in the bigger cities. And so just kind of, I guess, launching into this conversation on the topic of um, rural, um Does that matter to God, or is God only after like the big cities?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's really one of the distinctions that I make, try to make on almost every podcast episode when I'm doing the little introduction to it is one of the ways I say it is that, you know, God is not disappointed by the relatively small number that's on the population sign on the edge of your community. Anyone in a rural town knows as you're driving into town, we put our little population sign out there on the edge of the community, and you know, in the church world, it's not uncommon at all. Like you get pastors together and start comparing where you from, and you know, you, oh, I'm from a town of two thousand people, and it's almost like you get pity, like, oh man, sorry to hear that. That's that's too bad for you, as if as if like somehow you're playing in the minor leagues. And uh, here's here's my honest belief is that. God loves people in big cities and God loves people in rural towns. Like God does not look at a small town of 800 people and go, oh shoot, I wish there were more people there, man. Like I I like the people in a town of 8 million more than I like the town, you know, the people in a town of 800. Um, Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for every one of those 800 people and he dearly loves them. And um, so I want to encourage those that have been called to lead in that space. It's different. It's not that one's better than or worse than the other. Again, God loves the big church and the big city, but God also loves the small city and the small church. And um, the the small church, it's a valid place to do ministry. It is not some second rate, you know, you're playing in the minor leagues because you can't make it in the big leagues. That's not it at all. And I I want to be a part of changing the narrative of how rural pastors see their calling and see their place and to recognize it that I'm in a place that matters. And what if, just what if God wanted to do some amazing things through my little church and our little town? What if he wanted to impact people's lives? What if he wanted to use our small rural church to to plant a church in another country or in another city, you know, a few miles away? Like he does, he's doing it and he wants to continue to do it. He's looking for leaders that are willing to believe him for that. And stop feeling sorry for where they 're at and embrace it and and celebrate it, so yeah that 's kind of my message um, and certainly in our culture, we definitely see this divide, this political divide i don 't think it 's all along the lines of you know rural versus urban, but that is that 's part of that narrative as well it's We call them flyover states right like like it's there 's a whole bunch of people that just have are kind of largely being overlooked, and i don 't want to get too political in this. But I think that's what the election in 2016 was about. I think that all of a sudden, rural got put on the landscape again when some of these major urban cities and, and people that live there said, who are all these people who voted for someone that we never would have voted for? Well, there's a lot of people out there that feel like their voice is being unheard and that they're being overlooked and, and devalued. And maybe there was a candidate that came along that found a way to resonate a message with that crowd. So again, don't hear me endorsing a candidate. I'm just saying it's it's still at play in our world today, you know, that that divide that is there. It's a very real thing.
0: Oh, yeah, that's so good. And John, I can I mean I can tell as you just, you know, are talking about this. This is something that is not just, you know, um, a minor subject. This is something you are very passionate about and I I, I It's why I'm thankful that I'm having this conversation with you and uh, that the Billy Graham Center has put you in that kind of a role to um, resource and do conferencing where rural pastors can get together and you can make content that's helpful um, for them to do ministry well. Um, John, a few years ago, I think two years ago, you wrote a book called The um, Rural Church, A Call to Restore um, Healthy Churches to Rural North America. Um, can you talk to uh, to us a little bit about what inspired you to write that book?
1: Absolutely. The name, you missed one word in the title. It's Rural Church Rescue. Rescue. And uh, rescue is really important because it's, A, the name of my church, but it's also um, it's also an acronym in the book that I kind of anchor each of the chapters on. But for sure. So here's the big idea, and maybe a little backstory will help. I mentioned earlier that I started my career in the fire service as a firefighter. Well, um Come full circle about six years ago. I saw a window of opportunity open up in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, for me to go back into the fire service full-time. So there was a season where I was both a full-time pastor of this rural church, as well as a full-time firefighter. And uh, I continue the firefighting to this day. It's something that I, I really felt like God had said, look, you gave this up to be obedient, to follow me out here. I'm giving this back to you if you want it. Here it is. And so it's kind of a crazy thing. Why am I talking about the fire service right now? Because the book is kind of, I, in the book, I use the fire service as kind of a backdrop, like a metaphor for a, some lessons I wanted to share with the church. And here's kind of the big idea. I make the case in there that if the average church operated, or let me say this differently, if the average fire department operated like the average local church, we would fire the fire department. Um, if we took so much of what happens in the church and played it out in the context of, of the fire service and emergency response, we would say to our emergency responders, this is inadequate. We need something different. Because here's what I can see with someone who's had a passion for and, and feet in both worlds of first responder community and, and the church world there's a lot of similarities and there, you know, we, we both have a mission. We're both on a mission to rescue and to save lives. And yet it seems the fire department keeps that vision central to what they're doing. And it seems that in many cases, it's so easy for the church to lose sight of that and go all down these other crazy roads. And so that's kind of what I do in the book is I use the word rescue as an acronym and just share six major lessons about, and start each chapter with kind of drawing a hypothetical scenario like what if this played out in the fire service, but it happens every day in the churches you know in rural communities across our country, and it's time it's time we take a healthy look at this and and get healthy you know, and change some things in the church so I managed my 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 hope was to offend a few church leaders along the way with the message, and not really but but yeah, a little bit so it's I say some pretty bold things in the book.
0: Man, I uh, I tell you what I was reading. uh, You know, when I read that story in the book, I on one hand I was you know I was laughing because I thought it was I mean it was so um, it was so comical, and on the other hand I thought oh. You know what I mean, like it was yeah. so convicting because I mean you had like this scene where you know firefighters you know they', are, they coming up, they're coming up to this massive uh, devastation that took place and rather than deciding to go in and rescue people they 're sitting there bickering about who 's better you know who 's more qualified to go and and you make the you know the the connection that that's how churches are right. Jesus sent us out on mission, and here we are arguing with each other about who's more qualified to go. It's just like no go, you know. Yeah. And uh, man, that was just that was good. Okay, so John, you um so you still do firefighting. Yep. Um, uh, and a firefighter's job, um, I guess there's all kinds of jobs right you have to you have to be um, trained in many areas um, with you know paramedic kind of stuff and uh, all kinds of stuff so um, i I guess has there ever come a point in i guess your experience with ministry and, and firefighting where you know being a firefighter um, helped um, you know helped you out in a ministry setting or a ministry helped you out in a firefighting setting
1: a hundred percent of both ways like I feel like I feel like I'm a better pastor because of my start in my career in the fire service and in the real world. And by the way, just a side note, I I am a huge fan of pastors either coming out of the workforce or continuing, you know, I'm going to use air quotes here, secular workers. Because the a pastor that grows up in a kind of a sterile Christian environment and goes into the traditional path into ministry, where you're off to Bible college and then seminary, and you come out of that environment, I've, I've known many of that, that profile of pastor growing up over the years, growing up in a pastor's home. And I'm just here to tell you, you are largely out of touch with where the very people you're trying to reach live. And so for me, just to be in, in that world... And to constantly being uh, called to the scene of, of people on their worst day, um, sometimes due to no fault of their own, to be clear. And other times you can look around and go, man, this is the direct result of sin. It really is. Like, this is what life outside of Jesus Christ looks like. It's hopeless, it's addiction, it's whatever. It that That so much helps me as a pastor when I speak, when I preach, to be able to relate to just where average people are living. Um, So it certainly has helped that way. And then the the pastoral side has helped on the firefighting side as well. Because again, at the end of the day, it's still all about serving people in their time of need. Um, Specifically, more in recent years, um, when I came back to the fire service, I knew at that point that, that it was not just about me getting to run fire calls and have another stream of income and be back in the brotherhood. I mean I love all of that. Yeah. But I knew there was a deeper ministry purpose for me and it didn't take long of being involved before um, I reckon and was invited by some people on my department where they're saying, "Look, will you be a part of our uh, peer support team? We we need to do something for the mental, emotional and spiritual well-being of our people." I don't know if you know this, Skylar, a lot of people are unaware, but the, the reality is that we lose more police and firefighters every year to suicide than to line of duty deaths. As dangerous as that profession is, we lose more of our brothers and sisters in the first responder community to suicide. And so... I, I got involved with our local department's peer support team. And again, my love language is podcast. So before long, I was like, someone needs to start a podcast where we're talking about this. And so I did that. A few years ago, I launched what I call the Fire Inside podcast. And it's it's a platform where I really interview first responders from around the country. And we share their stories about some of the very dark things they have seen and been through and yet how they've come to find hope and healing on the other side of some of that, those trials. And the whole goal of that is to—really, it's ministry. It's to reach people in their point of need. And one quick story I'll, I'll share as just an illustration. This past February, I was invited to speak in Chicago at the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Symposium. And by the way, they asked me to come talk about it. They said, will you come and talk about faith— and the fire service, and where those two intersect. Like, what an opportunity to get to come and talk to people I love about stuff I love to share about. But anyway, in the hotel lobby there, um, as I was making my way across for one of the sessions, uh, a gentleman came up to me. He kind of was waiting till he see- saw that I was alone. And he came up to me and he said, Hey, I just want to shake your hand and let you know that your podcast saved my life. And I don't know what episode he heard, but he just said, I was this close to taking my life And, and your podcast and the story I heard there gave me the hope to fight another day. And so, yeah, you know, tell me, is that ministry? Like to me, that's just as much ministry as when I'm preaching from a stage inside my church. So I see it as whether I'm going to the church office or whether I've got my uniform on and I'm heading to the fire station, it's ministry regardless of where I'm going. It's all ministry.
0: Man, John, that's so cool. I am man. Um, Thank you for your service and dedication, not just to you know like in in ministry church, but also man in in in, in firefighting and in speaking into I mean investing in our first responders um, and being a first responder yourself. I had no idea um, with with suicide, so um, that's that's heartbreaking. Um, well, yeah. John, when you look at obviously rural. And um, small town and suburban and big city um, each have a kind of a different um, (laughs) bag of uh, uh, challenges, uh, issues, struggles. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the unique uh, challenges that um, people in a rural context face that you wouldn't necessarily see in a a bigger uh, size, a bigger town?
1: Yeah. Here's the thing, like human nature doesn't change a whole lot, whether you're in a big town or a small town. So at the end of the day, the human condition is the same for all of us. But I think where there's a huge misconception is that a lot of people think of rural America as like the Andy Griffith show, like it's a little Mayberry. And um, because we can make it look that way on the postcards and, you know, the calendars and, and all of that, we can make it look like it's this quaint, you know, Norman Rockwell type place to live. And maybe there's a small slice of it that maybe that's true, but but there's a much greater slice that if you go into urban and, and the streets of, of the biggest cities in our country and you see the problems with drugs and addiction, guess what? Those same problems are here in rural as well. But the difference is in those large urban centers, they have much, many more resources, greater resources to help people in those situations Whereas when we get out into the rural context, those resources are greatly limited if available at all. And so that's just one of, of many things. You know, certainly there's, we see racial tension in the uh, in the big cities. Guess what? There's major racial tension in the small communities, whether you're in the deep south and it's black and white, or whether you're more in my part of the country and it's white and Native American. like. It does. And Hispanics. We see a lot of Hispanics moving into uh, rural communities, and really, that's shifting a lot of the, the the socioeconomic, you know, scenery. And again, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it is a real thing. And so we see racial tension in the small communities, um, brokenness, broken homes, broken families, and just not as many resources. And by the way, for the church that creates an opportunity for the church to step up and be a player in some of those areas that maybe, um, you know, they, they may not see themselves being uniquely equipped for, but it's like who else is doing it? You know, look yeah. around. Are there other people that are meeting those needs or is this a place that the church can step into? So I know that's not like an exhaustive list, but it's, it's just a, a good starter to think down that road of, yeah, we've got problems in the rural communities for sure.
0: Yeah, so like in in uh, I guess a bigger city context, um, you have real pressing needs, but there is real adequate resources to meet those needs. But when you get to the a rural context, you have um, in many ways the same or similar challenges, but with nothing, no resources, right? I mean, counseling, right. um, s- slim to none, and then you know rehabilitation, right. all of that. You have to go to the big cities to get that, and so. Yeah, I mean, right. there there's a real need for, um, um, I guess, meeting those needs, ministering to those needs, um, and, uh, I mean, a great opportunity for the church to, to step into that place and, and show <laughs> what redemption looks like on the ground, you know? Um,
1: yes, yes.
0: So, okay, John, um, when you, um, uh, in your book, um, your heart is to rescue the church from, I guess, um Um, aspects of unhealthiness in them so that you you could restore health to the rural church in America. Can you talk about maybe just a few areas where you see unhealth that is plaguing the church in a rural context?
1: Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll just give you the six titles to my book, and and that'll kind of give you an idea, because all six basically speak to some problems that are there or opportunities for for growth and for health. But the R, remember the acronym is RESCUE. So the R is uh, recognize the mission. E is execute strong leadership. S is speak a compelling vision. C, cover the community. U is unleash the volunteers and E is embrace the future uh, but honor the past. And so I can talk about every one of those but basically the some of the bigger problems I see starting with that recognize the mission is that I feel it's so easy for the church to drift off course and it's like a fire department that Forgets that our main job is to save lives and protect property. And as a church, we know, like, God has been very clear. Christ is very clear in giving us our marching orders of going into the world and preaching the gospel and letting them know that there is a savior and there is hope for their sin problem. And the church can get so easily distracted off mission and get more focused on, well, let's take care of ourselves. Let's do our own thing. Let's, you know, let's have these internal arguments about and man Christians we can argue about all kinds of stuff you know and, and it's so easy to lose sight of the mission so that's that's one major thing the, um, the the second one where i talk about execute strong leadership this is where i kind of offend a lot of people in the rural landscape because i'm here to make the case that most rural churches are struggling for lack of past, of strong pastoral leadership it's become kind of acceptable in the small rural church, especially in our mainline denominations, where we've come to think that the church is a democracy. And we've we've structured our churches to operate very similar to, you know, our United States Congress, which really isn't known for its efficiency and, you know, great decision making, right? And yet we've structured our churches that way, where they're full of politics and who who can ever get the most votes on their side wins. And I'm just here to tell you, when you roll up on the scene of an emergency and, and there's fire blowing out the windows and people trapped, we don't start calling business meetings and start voting on what's going to get done. We have strong leadership in place because we know our mission and we've got leaders in place and it's not about who's better or superior. It's about an authority structure where the mission can be accomplished. And what I see as I coach so many pastors in rural America is that they're not really the leaders in their church, you know you know Sister Ethel, who's been around for hundred and twenty years, she's the leader in the church, and everything has to go through Ethel or everything has to go through this committee or that committee, and the pastor really does not have the ability to lead as he or she feels God has called them to lead and so you know, I go into a whole thing on that and, and again, I recognize that's offensive to a lot of stagnant christians in in rural churches because if they lean into that they're going to lose control of their church or at least that's how they perceive it mm-hmm. and um so they're willing to fight for that one so anyway there's that you know i talk about speaking a compelling vision uh, again i just think so many rural churches lack vision they've they've just gotten into the status quo and they need a fresh vision from god of what could be possible if god had his way in their community like what does god really want to do to transform lives in our city and beyond. Like, what, what would it look like if the rural church actually believed for that vision? So I could keep going down this list. When I talk about covering the community, it's this idea of, you know, being a church in your rural town that if your church were, were ever to go away, the community would be like, oh, man, what are we going to do without that church here? Like, they they covered our community in so many ways. They served and, and provided so much tangible assets to our community it, that's what the fire department is right like if you go to a, any town and say hey we're shutting down your local fire station people are going to be outraged they're going to fight to save that fire station because they recognize that the, the value that that station adds by having that level of protection and that service on standby when we need them I believe our communities should view the church the same way. Like, we need our churches here because of the valuable service they're providing for our community. So, yeah, those are just a few. I could keep preaching on this, and we'll have to take an <laughs> offering if I keep going.
0: <laughs> John, that is so, so convicting. Man, and I even, we're, you know, we went through the book of Daniel uh, this summer, and um, I mean, in Daniel chapter six, you see Daniel. I mean, he is in uh, as a, a as a follower of God, as a Israelite. He is in a high position of leadership, and um, because of his faithfulness. Um, Persia and Babylon were better off, you know. And they, um, if he was not there, I mean, they would have come crumbling down far earlier with all the chaos they experienced. But I mean, Daniel, Daniel six, the last verse, it talks about how Daniel prospered because of his good leadership Mm -hmm. there, you know. And and, um, uh, you know, they needed somebody like Daniel in that place, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Babylon needed them in. Uh, and that's you know yes. it should be the same way with the church you know like where, I mean just like what you're saying man that is so good so 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 good, um, John and, and you're not somebody who's just kind of writing these clever um, statements these controversial chapters I mean uh, you're somebody and you've you've seen this work in 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 rural context and you are connected with all kinds of rural pastors that are doing the same thing. And seeing God, I guess, mm-hmm. God bless these these um, uh, principles, these guidelines. God's, God is working um, in tremendous ways um, to make a difference in, um, I guess, a, a real context. And I know that kind of it translates over. Um, but I guess, you know, one of the things that you, you mentioned at the beginning, you said God delights in doing big things in small places. Um as you kind of look at your life, your story, maybe even other people, I guess, are there like some big memorable moments that you remember of of God doing th- some pretty cool things in rural America?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful question. And it's, the answer is absolutely like i can look back over the story that i had the privilege to be a part of for 16 years as as a guy who planted and then led this church and to see all of the the milestones along the way and i could point to different things you know like big if you want to talk about big where you look back and go by the way one of the things that i used to take as a great compliment over the years it didn't mean as much to me but people used to say, like, they would come to our church and say, man, this has a big church feel in a small town. And I think what they meant by that was, like, the the part I took as a compliment was the fact that we tried to do things with excellence. You know, like, we didn't buy into this small thinking that said, just because we're a small church in a small town – we have to do things in a sloppy way. So we did a lot of things with excellence and it probably kind of spoke to like the more contemporary style of our services and stuff like that. I used to take a lot more pride in that, like, oh, we're, we're like a big church. But then over the years, here's kind of what I learned is that it's not so much about doing things big where the celebration is. For me, honestly, after 16 years looking back, to me, the biggest wins and the biggest stories come in the smallest examples, one life at a time, you know, as I think about the people whose who, whose lives were radically transformed as they met the Jesus that I, that I know and that I introduced them to or that our church introduced them to. And to see people's lives go from being, you know, in just bound up in addiction and dysfunction mm-hmm. to they all of a sudden they meet Christ and he starts breaking chains in their life that for years they could not get out of and to see that, to see marriages restored, to see kids that have, you know, whose parents came from very dysfunctional generational pasts to know that these kids, they're gonna have a new story to write in their future because dad finally came to know Christ as his savior and he now is submitted to an authority higher than himself. Like those are the, the big things that I honestly remember as I look back. And by the way, with that, I also kind of mourn and grieve the ones who fell away, the ones who came and we started to see them just do so well as they're following the Lord. And then at some point they, for whatever reason, stepped away and, and to see them go back to those places of addiction and adultery and and stuff. It's honestly, that weighs almost heavier than, than the winds themselves. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't control that, but it's still, as a leader, you're very connected to it. You know, like you, you are very connected to the stories of the people you lead. So I know it's a long answer to your simple question, but it's, it's the changed lives that I was able to witness along the journey and to play a, a small part in that by all means make up the biggest wins and the biggest stories of what we've seen God do.
0: That's cool, man. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, man, I love that. I love that. Um, so, John, um, a majority um, of those who are uh, make up our listening audience, um, they're not in kind of a church leadership position. Um, some, some are who who've been you know plugged into our podcast. And and if you have, I would I would strongly encourage you, especially if you're in a rural context um, or a small town, whatever, to to listen to John Sanders' podcast. Um, small town, big church, um, fantastic. But. Uh, a majority um a majority of our audience are not in kind of a church leadership position but they are involved to some extent in a church community what is their role in God's plan to restore health to rural american churches
1: man that's a great question and i i could speak on this for hours like here's the really good news and maybe it's maybe it's going to be convicting news for some but see there's there's a flawed mindset out there that says like okay, you're the pastor or you're the leader in the church. Your job is to do the ministry. I'm going to sit back and watch you do it. Um, and here's the really good news is that you are the church. Um, just because you're not the leader of the church or just because you're not in leadership, you know, maybe you don't have an official title or role. Let me tell you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are still part of the body of Christ. You And you were created on purpose for a purpose. And God desires to use your life. And here's the thing, like when I say he wants to use your life, that may sound like a negative statement, but what I've come to learn in my journey of following the Lord and the times that I've resisted, you know, obeying the calling that he's put in front of me, when I finally surrender and, and like let him use me in the way that he created me to be used, there's not a greater joy in the world. And so what I would challenge you is like lean into the passions the talents, the interests, the things that light your heart on fire, that has been put there by your creator and he wants to leverage all of that to build his kingdom and to and to build his church. Like you were created for so much more than just serving in the nursery in your church on Sunday or being a greeter at the door. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like we need people to greet at the door and to, to serve in the nursery but you were created for your own ministry and your ministry may take you far beyond the walls of your, of your church out into this thing you call your job out into your school, out into your community where you are impacting people's lives for all eternity. And God's using the very personality and the gifts that he's given you to, to, to just unleash that into the world. So I I hope that for me, when I hear that and think that way, like that's, that's inspiring. That's life-giving. Maybe it needs to be convicting for some, but I hope that you hear like permission to go be who God created you to be because he made you for that very purpose.
0: Yes, yes. Man, I love that, and I am in full agreement with you on that, John. Uh, not that you need my agreement or anything like that, but uh, man, absolutely, um, 100% agree with that. You know, and, and I, you know, even think about Jesus' baptism. After his baptism, right, he launched into ministry. You know, and. Um, yeah you just think about for us, for our baptism, it is not just this um, wonderful moment where we, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is also the launching point into <laughs> taking up the mantle of going that's into good. The ministry. So, um, John, yeah, I love good. it, man. John, um, I just want to say um, I have greatly appreciated your investment in a small-town church pastor like myself, and I'm, I'm grateful that God has placed you Uh, in the position that he's placed you so that you can um, continue to minister to uh, the rural church context. And so, John, I'm grateful uh, that you accepted uh, this invitation to come and and let me uh, ask you a few questions. And so, John, I appreciate you. Love you, brother. And thanks so much for being on our podcast.
1: Man, it has been my honor. And as to the investment, I just want you to know the investment has been made in good ground. Like you are a good investment and I love to see the work that you're doing and truly believe that God's going to use your life to impact hundreds, thousands of people as you continue to follow him. So I'm happy to have gotten to play a small part in your journey and uh, grateful that, that you've been a part of my community and uh, it's awesome, man. So it's been my honor and I'm thankful for you as well.
0: Thanks, John. That means a lot, man. Love you, brother. Man, I was so pumped up after that conversation. Uh, on the one hand, um, I am excited to kind of storm into the burning house, if you will, uh, to rescue people, and on the other hand, I am so deeply encouraged to believe that God does want to do great things in my life, in my town. John has been one of the voices in my life that has been so encouraging, um, and in a, in a weird way, one of the funniest ways possible to challenge and convict me, and I hope that you felt a little miserable mixture of all of that in this conversation. Uh, Look, God has more in store for your life, for your town, for your church than what may initially meet your eye. Your town may have one gas station and a Dollar General, or it may have a thousand gas gas stations with ten super center Walmarts, but regardless of the place and the people, God's desire is the same, and He wants to do big things there, and He is inviting you to be a part of that process. Our goal is to discern how God is working and how God has wired you and me to partner with him as he restores small and large towns through restored lives. So how has God wired you? What passions has He given you? Uh, what needs has He highlighted in your town that He is calling you in some way to rise up and meet? Uh, one of my favorite Bible passages comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and it says this. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And the beauty to me in that passage is that normal, everyday people, everyday lives, everyday skills, jobs, desires, and habits... When they are directed at serving and worshiping God in your community, they can be used for a bigger purpose. To see God do big things in your life, in your town, you have to be willing to serve Him in the small areas in your life, and the small things He has put in your life. Well, I hope that this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact with your life. Thanks for tuning in.